Open in your Bibles with me, if you would, to the letter of James. Going right through that epistle this summer. James 1, and we started looking at verses 1 to 12 last time, and I'm going to, we're going to read verses 1 to 12 again, but this time we're going to really pick up the text at verse 5 and talk about the things we didn't mention from last time. So let's stand together for the reading of God's authoritative word to us. His revelation actually begin in verse 2. Hear the word of God to you. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord, because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position, But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love Him. Ascends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May He bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. We're going to start with some frank talk this morning. Some folks make it very difficult to be in their presence. Never mind enjoy their company. It's just hard to stay there sometimes. They love talking about themselves, their lives, their day, their pains, their fill-in-the-blank. It's all about them. They don't let you get a word in edgewise, and even if they do, you could tell they're more concerned with what they're going to tell you next than listening to what you actually have to say. Let's be honest. Many of us, we try to avoid such people when possible and even more importantly we certainly don't want to be guilty of being such a person many of us sometimes we do indeed realize that we're far too self-centered and self-absorbed and if we're truly children of god through faith in jesus christ it breaks our hearts when we find out we're like that What about people who are fair-weather friends to God? This is what I mean. They suddenly get spiritual when they want something from God. But they'll turn their backs on God as soon as they can when He doesn't give them exactly what they think they deserve or what they need. They own religion, to borrow a phrase from uh, John 
Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. They own religion in its silver slippers, but they disown him when he's in his rags. Again, like the Apostle Peter, I always uh, think of this example. We go out and we weep bitterly in sorrow of heart and in penitence and repentance when we find that it's us, O Lord, who are guilty of such a thing. That we praise Him and we serve Him and we love Him when things are going great in our eyes. But then as soon as trials come, as soon as things come that we don't like and He calls us to do things that are distasteful, we're out of there. That's why as my preaching mentor Dick Lucas puts it in verse 4, he says this about verse 4. He says, this is simply mouth-watering. Think about this. What genuine follower of Christ doesn't long to be, what James says here, mature and complete, not lacking anything in their Christian life? I mean, think about it. Isn't that really one of the most attractive, beautiful uh, descriptions of what it means to be a true, mature, abiding, steadfast follower of Jesus Christ in this fallen place? As we saw last time in our study of this epistle last week, God makes it very clear that it's the trials of life that develops the perseverance that leads to such a desired condition of maturity. In other words, as mouth-watering as that is, as much as we all, want to, we all desire that, we discover as we look at God's Word, particularly here in James, we discover that the way that God goes about bringing us to that condition is through trials through difficulty it's through hardship through persecution as rick warren puts it when god wants to make a giant oak he takes a hundred years when he wants to make a mushroom he does it overnight what do you want to be in the lord a mushroom or an oak of righteousness James tells us that instead of being discouraged by life's trials and suffering for Christ, or instead of kicking against them or allowing them to turn us bitter, we should count them all joy because we know that God is using them to produce the steadfast character that we deeply long for. This week as we continue to work our way through the first chapter of James, It may seem, this is important to see this, it may seem that James all of a sudden throws in a couple random things, right? He's talking about trials, right? Count it all joy when you face trials of any kind. Then all of a sudden he goes, if any of you lacks wisdom, then we go into this wisdom thing. Then he says, uh, those of you who are in humble circumstances, you should glory in your high position. They're like, where's this all coming from? But I want you to see he's not being random. He actually has a point and he's sticking to his topic of, at this point, trials and difficulties in the Christian life. And I'll show you where the connection is. It's in a strange place. But yeah, I'm going to ask you to kind of wake up with me and use your minds a little bit because this is important to see that what I'm telling you is what God says, not just my nice ideas. So I want to show you it's rooted here because then I'm going to fly and I'm going to start preaching at you. But I want you to see that. It says this. James says, 
that you might not be lacking anything in verse 4, right? And then in verse 5, he plays off of the word lacking and writes, if anyone is lacking. You see the turn? You see the hinge? So that you won't be lacking. But then the next statement, if anyone is lacking. In other words, God is working in your life through trials to develop perseverance. Perseverance has to finish its work so you'll be mature, complete, and not lacking anything. That's the goal. But in the meantime, here's the thing. In the meantime, we are works in progress. We are not lacking it and not lacking anything. We are not mature. We are not completely steadfast. That's why the trials come. Can I get an amen? So in the meantime, while God's goal is to make you not lacking anything, mature, steadfast, in the meantime, when you find, if anyone finds, that they are lacking something, and what's the thing that they find they're lacking here in this text? Wisdom. Listen to the connection. How often when troubles, sorrow, tragedy, suffering happens in our life, what happens to us? We begin to get confused, right? We begin to, to, to lose our way. We, we begin to say, I don't even know what to do. Or how do I respond? Things get very murky when you're in, under the crucible of trials. And so what James is saying is, if anyone is lacking, and we're going to get into this in the text, then he should ask God for wisdom. Because we need the wisdom of God to know how to respond to adversity in such a way as to benefit from the trials that God sends our way in order that we might be believing all the way home. Listen, James's book, you want to have a theme to James', a theme to James's book? It's this, believe it or not, it's perseverance. You remember when Jesus said, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find what? Faith on the earth. Throughout, we're going to see this again and again, so I don't have to prove it all to you in, in two seconds this morning. You're going to see throughout James's book, he is deeply concerned that when it comes time, when God calls us home, whether we're young or old, that we are believing, that we are persevering, that we're not calling it quits. You're going to see it throughout this book. We're going to see that James has a very straightforward, pithy, earthy, no-nonsense way of saying it. And he's going to give us this morning God's prescription for dealing with the lack we run into on this side of glory as we face the trials designed to strengthen our faith in the long run. So here's what we're going to see. And I believe I have two points this morning. That's it. James gives us God's prescription for finding wisdom and perspective when facing trials of many kinds. That's what we're going to see. We're going to see God's way of finding wisdom and finding the proper godly perspective when we face trials of many kinds. So let's take a look at the first one. And most of our time will be on this point. So don't get nervous when it's taken real long on point one and you're like, he hasn't gotten to point two yet. Point two is shorter. So I just want to tell you that ahead of time. But point one is this, how to gain wisdom when facing trials. Super practical. Look at verse five again with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given him. Sometimes the most obvious answer to a question is the right one. (laughs) 
Uh, that happens to me all the time in Bible study, right? We're going through a text, and we just read the verse, and I'll ask a question, basically, that's right in the text, and people are trying to go real deep, and they're going, oh, well, it could mean this. I'm like, but what did, what did the text just say? And, and then they just repeat the text. I'm like, bravo, right? Well, in this case, it's the same type of thing. If anyone lacks wisdom, guess what James says we should do? Ask for it. And here's the interesting thing. Throughout his epistle, we're going to see a few times, at least one other time, he's going to tell us, you don't have because you don't what? Ask. That's what we're going to see in this text. John Bunyan once put it this way, you can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you've prayed. That's the point. Sometimes as Christians, we've got to get, get out of the prayer meeting and get going, right? But what, what John Bunyan's point now is we've got to pray first. That's the first step. And particularly when we are lacking the good gift of wisdom, we should ask our Heavenly Father for it. Think about it. It's Christianity 101. Now, look. The world may deride us, the world may mock us, the, may, the world might think we're crazy because the key to power in our lives, which we recognize, is getting on our knees alone in a room and speaking to a heavenly Father that we cannot see. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? In human terms. But what James is saying is, we know better. If you're a believer here this morning, then you have experienced the answer to God's prayers. You have seen His work in your life. You know that prayer works because you've actually tasted and have seen that the Lord is good. As believers, we know experientially what these words penned by hymn writer means. Listen, I love this line. A little flowery, but I still love the idea. But there's a power which man can wield when mortal aid is vain. That eye, that arm, that love to reach, that listening ear to gain. That power is prayer which soars on high through Jesus to the throne and moves the hand which moves the world to bring salvation down. Isn't that awesome? Now my mouth starts watering about prayer. I want to stop preaching. Let's start praying. James gives us great incentive to ask God for wisdom by reminding us of God's generous, giving character. According to James, look at the text, our God is a God who does what? He gives generously to all without finding fault. In other words, He's a giving God. He gives generously, He gives freely, He gives simply, and He gives, I love this, uh, one way of saying it in the, uh, to uh, um, describe the Greek word is without reproach. The Greek word uh, translated as generously in our English Bible is one of the keys to this text. So that's why I want to bring it out to you. The word basically means sincerely or simply. Now listen, this is powerful. God gives freely with singleness of mind. You get that? He just, with singleness of mind, he listens to you and he gives freely, he gives generously, and he is concerned and he loves to give good gifts to his children. Not begrudging. He wants to give wisdom to his children who ask. 
Now here was the part that really was so encouraging to me as I looked at this text. Sometimes we avoid going to a parent or a friend or a relative or a brother or sister in Christ because we know that when we go to them and humbly say, I I have this need, we know that even if they do give, what are they going to do? We're going to get the sermon first. What would you do with what I gave you last? And, uh, and then you're going to hear the sermon and they're going to give with kind of qualifications or they're going to give with like a begrudging spirit. You with me? Now sometimes, don't get me wrong, sometimes, humanly speaking, we need to hear that. We can understand why a parent might say, hey, last time I gave you this for this, what would you do with it? And the time before that. So we can understand human exasperation. But the beauty of our Heavenly Father is he doesn't give that way. Remember that beautiful, the words of the psalmist that I always repeat over and over again because I rely on them? You do not treat us as our sins deserve. In other words, you come to God, He doesn't bring up the list. You know, look what you did this week. How can I give you wisdom again? Look at this. He gives freely without reproach. And James says this, this is incredibly encouraging. To the one who comes to God in faith by prayer, to that one, very simple, James just says this, it will be given to him. Does that sound familiar? You know of another passage in the Bible that kind of says something like this? You might have recognized it when I say it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. Who said that? Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 7, 7. But there is a caveat. There is a qualification. It's here in verse 6. Look at it. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man shouldn't think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded man, unstable in all he does. The real culprit, is double-mindedness. In the original Greek, it's actually the two-souled man. In other words, he's going in two directions. His face is facing two different ways at the same time. This isn't talking about the normal Christian who has doubts every now and then. Because you remember Abraham... Paul talked about uh, Abraham in I think it's chapter 4 of Romans, and he says, without wavering... He believed God's promise that he would have a kid. But then when you look at Genesis, there were a few times Abraham had a little doubts, right? So when Paul says without wavering, he means the tenor of his life, the direction of his life, you know, the overwhelming direction of his life. doesn't mean you don't have moments of struggle and doubt. And that's not what James is saying here, that you don't have doubts. But what James is speaking against is the person who wants to serve basically two masters. His eye is on the world, and the other eye is on God and the things of God. That's what he's talking about. Alec Motyer puts it this way very wisely in his commentary. Verse 5 holds before us the unquestioned sincerity of God who desires our progress to maturity and who therefore, as far as he is concerned, will not withhold from us the wisdom we need. But verses 6 to 8 raise the question of our sincerity. Do we want to go forward with God? Are we wholeheartedly committed to His way of seeing things and His ambitions for our future? Or are we keeping a door open for the world? 
Are we trying to have a foot in each camp? God's mind is clear, but are we double-minded? That's why it was important to see that before. God gives with a singleness of mind. His concern is for you. You are the apple of his eye. But James turns around and says, but do you desire God that way? Or do you love the world more? Where's your ultimate allegiance? That's what James wants to know. Are you single-minded? You wonder why you don't get when you ask for a good gift like wisdom. Do you really want that wisdom? Listen, that's nothing new in the Bible, the history of God's revelation to man. Jeremiah 29, 13, listen. You will seek me and find, you, find me when you seek me with what? All your heart. We always use, I'm all in. Are you all in? That's what James wants to know. Are you all in? Why will you waver between two opinions? I've heard that before in the Old Testament. Choose ye this day. Whom will you serve? Stop playing around. One of my favorite quotes of all time. Top ten. Easy. No one ever lost anything by serving God with a whole heart or gained anything by serving Him with half of one. See, the double-souled or the double-minded person, writes James, is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. And he says that man should not think he'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So here's the interesting thing. Double-mindedness leads not only to complete instability when it comes to your prayer life, but notice what it says. That type of a person, when he says man, of course he means person, that leads to instability in every area of your life. You know, did you ever try to straddle two things of anything? You ever try to straddle a fence? <laughs> not comfortable, and you're not going to last too long. James says such a man shouldn't expect to receive anything from the Lord. Listen, Hebrews 11.6. We should know this one by heart. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him that's what faith is all about that's why I don't get liberal theology by the way if you don't believe nothing what in the world do you want to be a Christian for or teach the Bible you don't believe it get out sorry that was a little commercial right you have to believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him How badly in our trials do we need the gift of wisdom? Excuse me. And I can't help but think of the example of this past week. What happened to our brothers and sisters in Charleston, South Carolina, is an awesome example. Yes, very sad, but it's an awesome example of God giving extraordinary wisdom to His children in suffering. You know, you get a lot of... Facebook has the thing where everybody thinks that they, you know, have the right way of responding to things and they write their little opinions and usually they'll take a tragedy like this and make it political one way or another. I didn't say a word. I listened, which James, by the way, says everyone should be slow to speak, quick to listen. And what I was blessed with as a Christian leader, 
in the church is when I saw my brothers and sisters who would actually happen to respond the way God tells us to. They had incredible wisdom from God. How did they respond? They even said, we don't repay evil for evil. Over, over, turn evil with good. Overcome evil with good. What do they do? They said to that young man, they forgive him. They expressed the, how much that he had hurt them, and yet they all extended forgiveness. And they didn't even only do that. They witnessed to him for the good of his own soul. I bring this up because that's the kind of wisdom we need in trials, isn't it? We, if we're true believers, somewhere deep in there, we say, Lord, I want to be like you in this trial. I want to know how can I respond in such a way that brings you glory, brings healing, brings peace, brings reconciliation. Blessed are the division makers. No. Blessed are the who? The peacemakers. That's the kind of wisdom we need. When we're suffering. James James doesn't just give us the key to gaining wisdom in trials, praying in faith, but he also gives us the way to gain an eternal perspective in the specific trials of lacking material wealth and the trial of having material wealth. And I know right away you're saying, man, I wish I had that trial. But we're going to talk about that and we're going to see, well, James is going to talk about it, not we. Um, We're going to see that that's a trial too. And we'll see why. So we're gonna, that's the second thing. How to gain perspective basically on worldly goods and position. Look at verse 9. We're going to start there. Uh, let me just say this. Again, how is it connecting? He is turning from needing wisdom in trials, and now he's turning to two particular areas, or one area, where a specific area of trial. It's a trial to be without material possessions in this world, not without material goods. And it's also a trial if you become a believer and you are wealthy, Now you have great responsibilities and many other things we're going to see. So that's where the connection is, just so you know, I didn't go too fast. All right, so how to gain perspective on worldly goods. Look at verse 9. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride, and that's in the text, glory in his high position. So James starts with the brother in humble circumstances. And he t- tells him to take pride in his high position. Indeed, the Lord, uh, um, sorry, James picks up on his Lord and Savior's teaching on the kingdom of God. And as we've seen in our uh, Jesus' teaching in the book of Matthew, what? It's an upside down kingdom. The kingdom of God is the opposite of the kingdom of the world. So the one who's low in this world's eyes is what? Has a high position in the kingdom of heaven. That's what James is saying. In the kingdom of God, those who might not be blessed with earthly influence, earthly honor, earthly power, earthly riches, have the high position of being sons and daughters of the high king of heaven. You can hold your head up high and say, I am a child of King Jesus. And how often in this world, oh, so-and-so put me down. Oh, so-and-so demeaned me. Oh, so-and-so doesn't respect me. There comes a point where I just say, who cares? The high king of heaven has placed me in a blessed place, in the high position of having the name Christian. That's an honor. I know that my heavenly father delights in me, and I know that I have a place with him in glory. Jesus is my older brother, so you better watch it. You know, I might not be nothing to look at, but the one that's coming behind me, so to speak, 
That's my big bro. So just be, you know, better be careful what you say. Indeed, humble believers may have to put up with all kinds of suffering for Jesus in general and in particular because they aren't anyone of note in the world's eyes. And sometimes we're not even of note in the church's eyes. Do you ever think of that? And James is going to talk about that. He's going to say, how dare you when the poor guy comes in, you say, oh, here, sit by my feet. But when a rich, ooh, we have a place for you right here. It's got your name on the pew. That's the church. It's not just the world. We need to keep God's perspective in mind when we're the low person on the totem pole at work. Or maybe we're the low person in the ministry position and our name might not be the big names of the denomination or the ones who write books and we're just a humble uh, pastor of some church somewhere that nobody knows about. Or maybe you're the least in your family or in your community or on your team. I remember when I was a waiter as a new believer, and i got to say some of the most joyous times I've ever had was when I was the poorest in my life, and that's not a lie. I'm speaking from my heart here. And I remember I was a waiter half the time, and the other half the time I set up uh, the dining room and got it ready and did the vacuum and cleaned the, the bathrooms, and then I would, I would clean up first, and then I would put on my uh, stuff and I would wait the tables later. And I remember we were serving this one party and we did banquets and, and my manager always did like more than we really should be able to handle with the little staff we had. That's just the way she rolled. And I had like three or four huge tables and it was time to serve coffee. And you know when you serve coffee and some, I'll have decaf. You're like, what do you, what do you and the other one's like, tea please. You're like, are you, are you kidding me? Like it's like, how in the world? I don't have like seven arms. and nine. But anyway, so you just kind of bite. You go, yes, oh, of course. You know, and you're, I mean, you're running. We're sweat pouring out. And then, then someone has a nerve. Sorry, I got to, someone will have a nerve. Can you turn down the air conditioning? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Look, you want to say, look at me. You see sweat dropping, dropping on my face. You're going to ask me to turn. Anyway, that's all inside of me. But anyway, so there are times, and, and maybe they're being very arrogant, and maybe they're like, you know, come on. And I remember the Lord did something for me. I, I, you know me, I don't get too mystical. Although the other day somebody said they, uh, they um, when I preached over uh, Covenant, they said, yeah, it brought me back to my youth. I used to go to charismatic churches. And I thought, what about my sermon, you know, made you think of charismatic? She goes, yeah, we used to have a lot of Italian pastors. I'm like, okay. But anyway, so that was interesting. So when here I was, the God gave me this experience. The reason I say this, maybe people are going to say I'm charismatic now. All of a sudden, in my mind's eye, now forgive me, Westminster Confession of Faith, but I had this vision, just uh, not a, a vision like the Bible, but a picture, that's a better word. I had a picture of Jesus in heaven, you know, at the right hand of the Father. Again, it was fuzzy. I didn't have particular features or anything. And, and what happened was, is in my heart, I took pride in being a child of God. And I remember saying to myself, if these people only knew who I was. <laughs> now, I want you to know, I didn't say that in a wrong, prideful, sinful, wicked, like who I thought I was. But I said it the way James tells us. James says, take pride in your high position in Christ. In other words, you should have dignity and worth and glory in it. And I remember just walking away thinking, it doesn't matter whether they recognize it or recognize it or not, or don't recognize it. I'm a child of the living God. Jesus is my Savior. God who made everything is my daddy. 
And that's exactly. And that should bring us great joy and we should glory in that. But then James turns to the one who is rich. Look at verse 10. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wildflower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossoms, blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Just as the poor man can glory in his high position in Christ upon coming to Christ, the rich man is humbled by his low position in light of the fact that his life is but a fleeting moment. Here today and gone tomorrow. Just like the wildflowers we see that look so beautiful. Do you ever see those wildflowers you were like, that's gorgeous. The next day you drive by, they're gone. I always wondered like, wow, all that work. If you, you know, well, they're wildflowers, but if you have to plant them, you're like, you've got to be kidding me. The rich need to remember that their riches may give them a temporary advantage in worldly society. That's what James is saying. But they're useless where they're going if they're believing rich people. You know the whole adage, he who dies with the most toys wins. Nothing. Because you can't bring it with you. That's what James is saying. One commentator puts it this way. While the lowly brother learns self-respect, the rich man learns self-abasement. Do you see what the gospel does? It balances things up. It gives the lowly man, the man who doesn't matter as the world sees it, a right sense of his position in life and of his value to God. And it gives the man who has an overinflated view of his position in life a new picture of where he stands in life because of what God says. So as we live under the trials of poverty or wealth, James reminds us to keep it all in true perspective. That is, keep it in eternal perspective. And that's why James concludes this section with the promise of a bright future when this brief life is done. And I'm going to read verse 12 and then we're going to close. But listen, it speaks to the rich and the poor in this sense. Um, We were going to a session meeting the other day and... uh, went through my dad's house and it's always it always brings up dredges up all kinds of emotions and i found an old fleetwood mac cd live cd from my sister and her uh, it was hers and she passed over 10 years ago now it's hard to believe and there's a song on it called landslide you know that song it's been redone that's the only reason why pete could possibly know it because he didn't know any fleetwood mac not one fleetwood mac song that. but anyway what i like about that one line but it's because I'm an old guy. The, the one line in it that says, um, children get older and I'm getting older too. You know that line? Maybe some of you do. But it struck me because, you know, I remember when Caleb was a little baby boy and, and Colin was real little and it seemed like yesterday. And here I am going through my dad's empty house that it used to be my house, that that was the house, no matter where I lived around, all uh, God's creation, as my mom would put it, um, I always could go back to that house, and that was kind of grounded me. And here I am going into this empty bones of a house where my dad's not there anymore, my mom's not there anymore, my sister's gone, my son is married, he's going to have his own life, you know, and t- time is fleeting. It's going quick. And as you get older, the more you see you know, your life, when I look back to what my life is, I say, I don't have that as much forward. Follow me? There's less time here. 
And what James is saying is to both the poor in, in some ways, but especially those who have, and in our society, it's pretty relative of what rich is, isn't it? To many people in the world, we're rich. You own a car? You able to just go walk and shop right and buy what you need for your family? Standards of many other places in this world, you're rich. And it's good to remember that these things don't last. And that like that flower, you're here for a day, next day, the Lord can take you. And this life could be over. And so, here's what really matters. This is what really matters. And I want you to take this to heart. And I pray that I will too. Blessed, happy, is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now you see why it's so important to go to the end believing and loving. Because those who love God, no matter if they're rich, no matter if they're poor, no matter what their station in life, those who are trusting in Him to the end, they are going to receive a crown that no man can take away. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your perspective on life. Especially when it's so, we're in such pain, it's hard to think straight. Father, we do pray You would make us single-minded in our walk with You. Single-souled. Sold out for You. And Father, may we pray in faith when we ask for the good gift of wisdom, knowing that You do grant it willingly and single-mindedly to Your children. And Father, we pray that as whatever station of life we're in, whether we have much or we're wanting, Lord, um, if we know You, there's a crown of life that awaits us if we endure by faith whatever trials you send to see fit to send in this fleeting world we pray it in Jesus name and for his glory amen this Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City if you're in the Atlantic City area stop by Our address is 215 North Sovereign Avenue, Atlantic City, New Jersey. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. Oh God is written and performed by the Reverend Dr. Santa Garofolo. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Sermon.